It's the My Michelle Live podcast. My Michelle Live, Health Watch. She's writing a prescription for hope. Here's Michelle. Hi, I am Michelle. Today, it is Health Watch, and I'm looking out for you because I want to share with you some information on COVID, the vaccines from experts, things that you may not be hearing, real concerns and real questions, empowering you to make the best decisions. Because as we are watching what's happening in the world, it is nuts. And we're covering it here. In fact, it's kind of interesting. We're covering it. And then it starts to get big news. Uh, Funny. Just last week, we were talking about the deaths of despair. Now, there are new news stories that are talking about how many folks are succumbing to some of the problems associated with lockdown, lockout, closed businesses, people losing jobs. It's called deaths of despair and deaths of despair now being reported as maybe even overtaking the number of COVID deaths. We reported it and then boom, everyone else is starting to talk about it. Why is that? Well, because we're really trying to look for the real story, not driven by our own ideology, but digging deep. And when you look for the real story or the God story. We look for the God story. Get right down to the base of it. You know, you're really trying to look for truth. Today, truth with the vaccine, truth with how we're handling things, and truth about some of the crazy things happening out there. Vaccine related. Listen to this. A wealthy couple chartered a plane. They went where? To the Yukon. And they took vaccines meant for indigenous elders so they travel up to canada's yukon this remote community beaver creek there's only about a hundred piece people there a hundred people most of them members of the white river first nation so this couple claimed to work at a local motel showed up at a mobile clinic to receive vaccines it didn't take long for locals to go what is going on and authorities found out that the couple were actually this wealthy couple from vancouver from vancouver bc that chartered a plane to this isolated outpost so they could get shots intended to protect people who were vulnerable in that area. What? Oh, yeah. And you know who else is on this kick? The very people that we hear telling us about what we should think and how we should feel because they are elite and they're in the know simply because they get a script thrown at them and they make money from making movies in Hollywood. But as the vaccine is going across the country, guess who is playing Hunger Games to try to get their vaccines? Well, see, in Hollywood, some folks are doing their thing and waiting in line. Harrison Ford was reported to spend two and a half hours in line at El Camino Community College to get his vaccine. Uh, He's 78. 73-year-old Arnold Schwarzenegger, he waited in line as well. So did a few others. Uh, But some are getting private jets and they are flying out and paying what they need to to protect themselves and 
Is that the wave of what may be happening in the future if we are up against another crazy, awful vaccine? Is it those who have to struggle on the ground with no money and no means that hope and pray that someone can be there to rescue us while all the rich get what they need? I don't know, but I'll tell you something that you do have that you don't have to buy, and that's your immune system, and it's your common sense. So today, oh, my friend, you are going to walk away with some information that you're not hearing other places. We have a powerful interview. You don't hear from him a lot, Dr. John Cantanzaro with Neo7 Logics. He's the founder. Uh, this doctor has got some insight into mRNA that you need to consider before you jab yourself in the arm. And we're going to be talking with our beloved Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein on some of the deeper story, the God story, on how we're handling this kind of lifeboat situation that we find ourselves in with COVID and with who gets the vaccine. So hang on to your hats. We're taking it on today. First, recently I had Dr. Fuzrana from Reasons to Believe on us on this program. And he told us a little bit about this mRNA vaccine. Just to review, just so you know, just so you have all the information. Yeah, well, you know, most vaccines are essentially trying to uh, trick our immune system into uh, developing immunity to uh, an, an infection that we haven't yet uh, had, right? And so uh, when we're infected with a virus that will trigger over time an immune reaction where our immune system will clear our bodies of the virus, and then in the future, our immune system remembers that particular viral infection and then can respond to it and, and prevent us from getting sick a second time. Uh, and the idea then behind a, a vaccine is to inject either a dead virus or a, what's called an attenuated virus, a virus that has been inactivated into our bodies and in a sense triggering an immune response without us getting sick. But we're, but the MR. NA is not a traditional vaccine. They are essentially a piece of genetic material, but they're not the they're not DNA, but rather they're a copy of a of a gene uh, that would encode in the virus for its spike protein. And so, what you're doing is you're delivering this uh, you know messenger RNA to the cells, and then the cells' machinery reads it. Uh, and then uses those instructions to build the virus spike protein that it then presents to the immune system. And then what we do is we develop immunity to the virus spike protein. But since that protein is attached to the virus's surface, we in effect have now an immunity uh, to the virus itself. So we never have to be exposed to a virus, whether a dead virus or uh, an inactivated virus, but rather we can or an attenuated virus, but rather uh, we can develop immunity by simply, uh, uh, you know, being exposed in effect to the spike protein of the virus.
Now, just so you know, we are trying to be really balanced here. Dr. Rana is online for getting the vaccine himself. While he does and did recognize, you can look back at this show at MyMichelleLive.com. He does recognize, yeah, there's some things that people should take under con- advisement, consideration. Some people who sh- maybe should not get the vaccine. It is not a one-size-fits-all thing. Uh, but he says... He's on board. Also, Dr. Joshua Swamidas with is with uh, was with us. He is a specialist in pathology and immunology, and we asked him about this seemingly new. A lot of folks think of this as new, this mRNA kind of vaccine, and he, what the process is with this vaccine and how it's already been used. Uh, it was used for Ebola vaccines. And uh, so that's basic technology. Yeah, it is. It is really exciting, actually, that it's being deployed now because it's far more flexible than typical vaccine systems, which is part of the reason why it's been used for a pandemic to get us a quick vaccine. Like in most standard approaches to making vaccines, um, would have a harder time coming to market this quickly. So. you know, now that it's actually hit the market in a big way, in a way it's just never happened before, that's, that's changing quite a bit of things. It's going to make it far easier for vaccines to be uh, developed and manufactured in the future. Now, Dr. Swamidas, like Dr. Fuzz Rana, who, by the way, Dr. Rana is a microbiologist, they both are fairly excited about what this vaccine can do. Many people are saying, hey, it's good that there aren't the adjuvants that have had serious consequences for long-term effects, even death and uh, disabilities for people well-documented. We won't go into that today. We're, We're focusing on this vaccine and they say, hey, less adjuvants and there's some good things. But even Dr. Swamidas and Dr. Rana have this balanced approach that it doesn't need to be a one size fits all thing. In fact, I asked Dr. Swamidas about this. Why is it that we can't get our minds around maybe it's not just a magic pill or a, a boom, like a magic wand, wave it, and everyone's going to be just fine. This one size fits all. Very little surprises me right now. <laughs> <laughs> boom, drop the mic, right? I know, right? <laughs> yeah. I think uh, we could talk about maybe why that is. I mean, immunology is complicated. When you start talking about populations, it's not the same path doesn't apply to everyone all the time. There's a statistical statements you can make, but they're not 100%. All these things, I think, make it harder for people to take a hold of and think about well. And it takes a lot of training and a lot of information to be able to think about it well. And, and you know, it's a little bit hard to do in passing, right? <laughs> But we are going to do it here. So if you are standing in line waiting to get your vaccine, whoa, 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 before you get the jab, you are going to want to hear from our next guest. He has written on the topic fueling the viral fire with mRNA, and he takes on some of the long-term serious concerns about this vaccine that you must know. Be informed. That's what we're taking on next. 
My Michelle Live comes to you with thanks from one of our affiliates in particular, Real Bearded Men. Check out their products, all for our bearded listeners. All my brothers with beards, raise up your beards, let that thing grow wild from ear to ear. They say you're so cute, clean shaven, I'm so sorry, dear. This ain't no shave, no members, no shaving. Brothers with Beards. We have a special deal with Real Bearded Men. Go to our website, get a coupon code, and use the link. You'll get the best deal on products for men with beards. Oh, today, so excited to be talking about our health. This Health Watch Wednesday, we are taking on something really big that affects each and every one of us. Come on, we're all talking about the vaccine. Um, This is interesting news. Moderna CEO Stephanie Bansell said yesterday, the coronavirus will probably be with us forever despite the vaccine. What? What? What are we debating this for? In the United Kingdom, Professor Jonathan Van Tams has said people may need to use face masks forever due to COVID. What? Uh, so we really need to get a handle on this. What will, will be revealed in the coming months and years in the wake of this mRNA vaccine? and other vaccines like it. I mean, like it or not, vaccines of the past did not shoot out of their of their little vials. Absolutely perfect, without flaws, no side effects. That's just the truth. All man-made developed medicines, pharmaceuticals, while developed for a good cause, have caused a wide range of unforeseen unforeseen problems even even death that's why you tweak them and you try to improve on things okay but uh, googling the vaccine this vaccine the corona vaccine um and listening to the news reading articles listening to respected experts they all say hey hey it's safe i'll inject it into my babies i'll inject it into my brain i'm excited let's do this well many do say that but not all some are voicing some scientific concerns some are are willing to talk and debate this issue and not just treat it as if it's settled science that's why we're reporting it so you can make the right choice for you now joining me is an old friend uh one of my favorite uh doctors i mean he has he has written extraordinary books on subjects like cancer natural healing john Cantanzaro. He is CEO of Neo7 Logics. It's a bioscience company that designs precision and personalized treatment designs. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. John. Uh, is, thank you, Michelle, for having me today. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a delight yeah. to, to connect with you again. Um, you have always uh, had a vision of uh, utilizing what's in nature to bring to us a, a better health, a better treatment. Um, and I, that's just, to me, that's just been part of your vision um, throughout your career. That's that's correct. Um, uh, I've had, uh, you know, many years of clinical experience working with uh, many people, 
with some serious different type of disease, including cancer and, and um, chronic illnesses. So I'm very well versed in the fact that uh, there are, are treatments out there that are uh, better than, than others. And uh, of course, it's always best to have something that's uniquely focused so that the, it can actually help help the individual. So it's like I've always been about more personalization, more precision, rather than just using some of the you know standards that are out there that may have limited you know limited effects, uh, if not you know harmful effects. And so, you would think yeah. that that's where we would be in our modern world and our advancement. Uh, have we not learned that really a one size fits all doesn't really fit everyone? We have haven't we learned in in the in past decades that everyone has a different uh, chemistry to a degree that blood types are different. There are differing um, factors from uh, inherited uh, traits. Haven't we learned that we're all just a little bit different? So to just say, okay, this is a one size fits all may not really work. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. I think uh, um, one of the main hurdles that we have is we hear the same message, and, and for some reason, the cookie cutter type of approaches in the medicine are quite alarming. Uh, I think that there are a lot of a lot of good people, uh, doctors, and and uh, healthcare professionals that are aware of the fact that we need to be a lot more focused in uh, creating solutions that are going to work for individuals. And I honestly, I don't think they know how to do it. And what what I've discovered is more as I'm involved in precision and personalizations for developing, uh, you know, what they call uh, certain type of peptide treatments for uh, certain disease types, is that it is a it is a world that is you know more. Uh, sophisticated in navigating, so it's not necessarily fitting the, the 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 rhythm and flow of what we've got going now, which takes so long for something to develop. So, current vaccine, for instance, on the warp speed uh, program, which they were able to get done in a very short period of time, you know, there there was a lot of shortcuts that were uh, taken there uh, to to have that happen, and and there were billions of dollars spent to do that. And with and you billions know, made, earlier. let's just say there's billions and made billions as well. Made, yes, yeah. very, very, very true. Um, you know, we're 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 in that type of a uh, rhythm and flow, and I think that uh, you know it's a little voice that's crying out in the wilderness, saying, you know, here I am, and you know, choose me. Uh, I think <laughs> it's it's difficult for people to, you know, filter out the noise. I mean, you got to filter the noise out and say. Wow. Okay, I need to be focused in on on what is going to be best and work the best for me, and uh, that takes uh, that takes some research, that takes some diligence to to flesh that out. You know what I mean? Oh, indeed. Uh, and just to use an example that maybe everyone can relate to, there is a drug called Ambien, and when they were putting out Ambien, it's difficult to test things on women. Our body chemistry changes in a month you know we have a cycle and so tests weren't really done I would say effectively on how it would affect women but they just figured you know this is great this is for sleeping everyone can can take it we've we've done our test everything's good and then they found out that sometimes women take Ambien and they sleepwalk and a friend of mine no kidding she was on a cruise she took Ambien and Dramamine at the 
same time and found herself naked in the hallway of the cruise ship talking to friends that didn't exist that were around her. So, you know, we can have unforeseen side effects that we yes. just don't really know. So can we talk about the nature of RNA viruses and what mRNA vaccines are? Why are they supposed to work? What are they supposed to do for well, us? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, trying to filter down into a, a sophisticated science into a really basic exp explanation. mRNA is a piece, a segment of the viral uh, uh, of the viral protein, and they what they do is they take this segment and they introduce it uh, into the host environment of the you know where the virus how the virus infects the cells. And then uh, from there, the mRNA programs uh, the cells to produce what they call viral-like substances that are not the virus, but that would actually cause the the body to think that the you know that there's a you know an invader on board, so that it develops antibodies to you know against it. Uh, for as you know, the, these mRNA vaccines are supposed to be increasing antibodies. Uh, against supposedly SARS-CoV-2. Now, one of the issues there is that mRNA is a you know segment of the protein uh, that has random type approaches and unspecified actions. So, like in other words, it's unpredictable. You don't know if it's going to do what it's designed to do because of the fact that mRNA in itself has a very short uh, activity span. And it's and it's uh, it, it, everybody wants to think that mRNA is a reliable uh, type of biotechnology that's going to be the best platform to use. Now, it's still obviously still experimental and we don't know what the effects of the mRNA are going to be for the long term. So it's going to take months to years to see what kind of effects it's going to have. And when you're talking about you know, trying to build herd immunity with a vaccine. Uh, you're talking about, you know, millions of people that are going to be uh, pretty much receiving this. And and uh, we're going to start seeing uh, different type of effects. If they're not immediate, they'll probably happen, you know, as we go down the road a few years from now. Lovely. Um, Lovely. I myself, I'm not a proponent. I'm not a proponent of the mRNA because of the fact that it's uh, random. It's it's not specific. Uh and it's unpredictable. Well, and, and that's maybe why we're seeing that there's polls on average 50% or more of the population, if you factor in all the polls that are out there, here in America are saying they're not sure they want this experimental vaccine. And shocking, yes. even more shocking, this blew me away, that it's the, mm -hmm. the frontline health care facilities that are reporting, I mean, yes, legitimate reports, 50% of doctors, nurses, frontline workers are refusing the vaccine. Maybe this is part of the reason why. Uh, I think I think that's correct. I think uh, that they're refusing because they they don't know what the uh, what the long term effects are going to be. Uh, they see that you know the mRNA uh, researchers had shortcutted. There were no animal studies done, no safety adequate safety studies done. Pretty much, it was a human subject test bed. And and the thing is, is that the FDA has always been about not experimenting on people before you go into try a preclinical study first and. And the thing about it is, is that we're waiting on what's going to happen with these people that are being injected. And some of them actually are already have had anaphylactic reactions, allergic reactions. And some of them have had more systemic reactions, uh, like the physician that uh, 
uh, passed away uh, from a thrombocytopenia, which is a platelet disorder that there was no history in his family of any platelet disorder. So he was a healthy human being until he received the vaccine. So the thing is, you know, we can't make blanket statements and say, you know, uh, well, the vaccine has caused all of these deaths. But but what we can say is because we don't know uh, and because we haven't done enough study, we probably need to be very cautious. And as I understand it, as we've been talking and from research, the mRNA is a pre- is pretty delicate. It has to be kept mm-hmm. at just the right temperature, handled just the right, right way. And that may also render it uh, a bit ineffective if it's handled wrong. Um, there are others, mm-hmm. though, that say that because it's so delicate, well, then it's it's this delicate little thing you're putting in your body. What harm could it do? <laughs> it's true, yes. And the thing is, is you have that, and you also have the way it was intended to be dosed, which is another uh, another factor because, you know, some would think, okay, I need to stretch this vial out, uh, so I need to get several people vaccinated with this supply that I have. And so they wind up going outside of the vaccination guidelines. And the other thing about mRNA is, is that it's only really programmed for that one spike segment. I mean, it's like it's not looking at different stages of infection of people that are already infected. I mean, people are infected out there and struggling with fighting off the disease. This vaccine does nothing for that. So at best, they're hoping that it's going to offer some state of, you know, of, of uh, protection against the virus, but they can't guarantee that. And their efficacy was based on a statistical value, not on a true value. Okay, so it, with it being so delicate, though, uh, being such a, a this mRNA being such a delicate thing, uh, how can we see so, things like Bell's palsy, anaphylactic shock, and some of the reactions that we're seeing if it if it's so delicate and innocuous? Well, it's because it's a programming segment. So, in other words, once it gets into the cell, though short acting and delicate that it is, it can it can actually introduce uh, changes in programming on a cellular level that uh, are undesirable. So in other words, and as you know, cells replicate in the body. So uh, the neurotoxicity or the uh, Bell's palsy effects that you've seen uh, from a toxic, that's basically a toxic reaction. Some of these anaphylaxis, some of them are saying it's it's because they're using certain carriers like wet carriers or pegylated carriers that are causing the allergies and people are reacting to that. I would say I don't believe so. I believe that they're pretty much, you know, these unknown type of reactions that are coming from that segment programming of the mRNA, though very short acting it is, it still affects the cell's programming. And, you know, individual cells, when they divide and they, you know, and they start, uh, you know, doing uh, what they do when they propagate, uh, you don't know what can happen as far as, you know, effects like you see with Bell's palsy. The other thing is, is triggered off immune effects. We have no idea as to what kind of triggered immune effects that we would actually have that are undesirable, you know. All right, let's talk about that, <laughs> because that's that's kind of what everyone has in the back of their mind. Now, not all of us have the uh, background that, and education that you have, but we're, we're thinking people, and we're looking at this going, um, okay, what could happen? Yeah, uh, well, uh, you may not notice anything when you first get the vaccine. So like, in other words, people don't necessarily know that they've got any type of reactions. I mean, they might get, uh, you know, a little fever or they might feel a little achy. 
and that's typical for any type of uh, substance that's coming from the outside into the body. But the thing is, is that, you know, I, I summed it up as you're either going to get no response, uh, no protective, no protection, or you're going to get an allergic reaction because your body just rejects it, or you're not going to have any immediate reactions, but then you're going to have something down the line that is an unexplained or a mysterious type of appearance of symptoms out of nowhere. And, and the thing is, uh, that vaccines are known to cause these type of problems for decades later, right? So we, what we choose to do right now, if we are uh, choosing to do it because we are pressured to do it, because the environment uh, is structured around it to say that if you don't get it, then you're not going to be able to travel from point A to point B, or you're not going to be admitted to certain public uh, events or whatever the case may be. Um, these are strong arm tactics to force the, you know, the people to accept this vaccine uh, based on a herd decision model, and and, and that's that's not uh, good for you know for us as people. Uh, we need to just be able to have the decision to say yes or no, and you know intelligently say yes or no, you know. Well, and it also closes off the possibility of other treatments it's as though we say no this is it this is all we got this is what we've got this is the only thing that will work and it just seems so backwards in thinking to say that there is no other possibility and can i just ask a question here whatever happened to natural herd immunity i mean for many of the people who are at the lowest risk what's wrong with catching something don't we have Mm -hmm. an immune system isn't that really the mask and the and the inoculation that we that we really should have <clears throat> yeah i i totally agree uh, that you know you shortcut and try to uh just vaccinate before your body even has a chance to develop its own natural immunity against something and then you, you know usually it becomes more of a struggle it's kind of like the old chicken pox uh thing where you know uh, we we would if we heard someone in the in the community had chicken pox well let's get our kid over to that house so they can get it you know, so they can develop and especially when they are when it, it doesn't cause a lot of problems. In fact, right, interestingly right. enough, uh, I had a, a test later in life and found that I had had chicken pox. I thought I thought my whole life I didn't have chicken pox, but apparently my symptoms were so mild because I got it at such a young age, and uh, there mm-hmm. it was. I actually had had chicken pox. Boom! There you go. <clears throat> and yeah. th- th- that's not to say that that there isn't a place in the world uh, for for vaccines, uh, but mm-hmm. I, I'm my biggest concern is, as you had mentioned in the past, there have, vaccines have been known, and we're not just talking about the the things that people say. Well, there's just no proof of it. We're talking about things that have been well documented by the government and by mm-hmm. others that the, that vaccines mm-hmm. of the past have caused problems. The problem yes. is, though, we don't like to talk about those problems because we're so sold on this is such a good thing. But if we do not shine the sunlight of knowledge and discovery on these things they will never get better there's no there's no pressure yes that's that's right i mean uh and and i think it's you know worthy for us to do the you know due diligence and researching out ourselves to come up with a 
uh, we make a decision that we're making a decision or not being strong armed, but making a decision in peace and saying, I, I think I can, you know, I, I, I would decide or I would not decide to do this because I have the correct information in front of me. And uh, I can tell you, being a physician in clinical practice for, you know, over two decades, uh, I had people that came in that were vaccinated with a lot of different vaccinations. And, and, and you could be thinking along the lines of, you know, like people with uh, chronic fatigue syndrome or uh, fibromyalgia syndromes or some of these other mystery illnesses. Uh, these people all had one thing in common, that they actually were vaccinated with every traditional vaccine. Now, I'm not saying that vaccine uh, vaccines are wrong. What I'm saying is, is that they really need to get better in their ability to do something more specific in design. Well, we also have the think, idea of cocktails yeah. that <clears throat> mix into our bodies. We we see this oftentimes with uh, older Americans who are prescribed many different drugs for many different ailments, and we don't often take into consideration how those chemicals interact with each other. So there's a lot that <clears throat> that we're not, <clears throat> excuse me, taking into consideration. Uh, vac- giving vaccines to kids at too young of an age when we should be allow their their mothers milk has all of the immunities that that a baby needs we're not we don't talk about those things that are that should be first line uh, vaccines and and other treatments might need to be there for life-saving you know last minute life-saving uh, you're in extreme danger we we really need to protect i i can see that but it again it goes back to that one size fits all mentality yes i agree with that yeah. So, um, you know, one of the things that I usually, uh, you know, advise people when they're asking, you know, my advice is I would say that, you know, um, just don't follow what, you know, people are saying in general or what you're hearing, you know, and as far as public opinion, uh, go into the details, uh, understand a little bit more about what, you know, what a vaccine is trying to achieve. And then sometimes you have to read every line to be able to make that decision, you know, and and people, you know, people are going to make decisions uh, that, you know, may um, may not be the best decision to make. Uh, and that's why I say be be really cautious about, uh, you know, it, it's not as simple as just getting a shot you know, going in. There, OK, I'm going to get it over with. A lot of people are saying, you know, when they're under pressure, OK, I'm just going to get it over with. Believe me, the getting over, getting the shot, getting it over with could be a problem uh, for many, many years following the injections, you know, and I, I think that uh, people need to think about that. Well, and I worry about our litigious society if that's one of the reasons we don't always hear and there's such a fight against information uh, that results in many different medications, pharmaceuticals, vaccines, because uh, big, powerful companies don't want the bad PR. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. I want to talk about some of the things that might be that we're finding that are effective right now against the coronavirus. Uh, in some essence, mm-hmm. the best offense is a good defense. And we do not talk about our immune systems, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> You know, the best defense at this point is to, uh, one, uh, take the regular, you know, the regular precautions that we would when we're exposed to the flu. Like, for instance, now you notice that everything is about COVID-19, but nobody's paying attention to the flu that happens every year, right? right. So it's like, you know, it's a very interesting 
uh, presentation that we have out there. But really, you know, when it comes down to immunity, we, it comes down to, you know, common sense, um, you know, yeah, washing your hands, not being around people that are infected and trying to limit your exposure. All these things are important to do, trying to build a natural immune defense, uh, using some things that will build your immunity, you know, like people have been using vitamin D and NAC and vitamin C and zinc. And then there are a lot of antivirals out there right now that are looking like they're more promising. Uh, you know, ivermectin has been uh, something that's been touted as being effective against the COVID-19 virus. And then they have a couple of different antibody uh, medications that are antivirals out there that are supposed to be uh, effective in people that are actively infected, right? So now we have to remember we're, we're seeing a lot of people infected and getting vaccinated, you know, vaccinated is not going to solve the problem of these people that are struggling with infections right now. So that's the reason why we need to have some very active treatments. And, uh, and that's what I, you know, our company, Neo7 Logics, has developed a treatment uh, peptide-based vaccine that's a multi-target vaccine uh, that is made from natural peptides uh, to, fight, uh, to fight off the, you know, the, the actual virus as a treatment. And it's uh, rated at 99.8% effective in eradicating the virus with no toxic effects in preclinical studies. So those are the type of things that are promising right now. Anything that would actually be rendered as a treatment. Um, there are a lot of natural agents out there that have antiviral effects as well. Um, a good clean diet, uh, you know, is you can't say enough for that. Uh, and then your state of mind, you know, that's a real big one because when we're experiencing, you know, a, a pandemic like this, uh, it affects your psyche, it affects your soul. Um, you really have to recalibrate and, and find new ways of finding happiness and finding joy in the moment at every turn. So, yeah. And those are those are great defenses. I, I wanted to talk briefly uh, two things that the vaccine that you're developing. But first, uh, vitamin D. Vitamin D is essential. And uh, I'm up here in the great northwest where it's not it's there's a part of the year that it surely is hard to find some of that natural sunlight and, and get some vitamin D. Uh, and mm-hmm. as I understand it, FDA recommendations for vitamin D are fairly low dose would people in not sunny especially areas especially during cold flu season and dealing with the pandemic need to boost that up a little bit safely oh yeah i you know the 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 regular recommended daily allowance for uh vitamin d is is uh, negligible you, you know you actually have to get it up around five ten thousand fifteen thousand twenty thousand units a day and if you want to have an antiviral effect, which vitamin D is very effective in coordinating the immune system, you know, you need to be taking, you know, I would say probably 10 to 15,000 units a day if you're struggling with any type of immune challenge, right? And uh, people in general, uh, especially up in your neck of the woods, uh, which I'm familiar with, with the most of the year, no sun <laughs> on your skin. Yes. Um, <laughs> you you really need to be boosting those vitamin D values up significantly. So yes, I agree with that. That's good to know. And and then I wanted yeah. to talk a little bit more about what your company is is developing. And this is this is a maybe maybe a more natural approach. It is a more uh, it is a more specified and personalized approach. So, in other words, when we're uh, working and developing what they call the personalized precision treatments, we're looking at a person's molecular and protein structures 
you know, we do what they call whole exome and protein testing, proteomic testing, and, and we look at all of those data points and we see, you know, things that, you, you know, you don't see. Like, for instance, standard blood tests are just measuring certain type of uh, chemicals in your blood and things like that. As you know, when you go to the doctor and they do a CBC or a, a liver, you know, a liver panel or whatever, those are things that are measuring certain biochemicals in the body. But now when we're designing something uh, specific for a person like with cancer, we're looking at all of the molecular communication pathways to find the faults and to provide the fixes for those faults. So we develop what they call personalized edited sequences that actually are peptides that reprogram the immune system or facilitate better immune responses. And we put that in the form of a vaccine. And we actually did the same thing for COVID-19. We actually tested a COVID mutant. And uh, as I was mentioning, we got a 99.8% efficacy as a treatment to eradicate the virus and people and, and actively infected animals. So we actually tested the animals <clears throat> specifically. They, were, they had the super infection. We, get, we gave them the vaccine and the vaccine actually initiated the immune response in a favorable way. And it cleared the virus out and actually demonstrated tremendous uh, results. So, and that's because it's precision targeted, it's personalized. Uh, and it, when we actually focus in on personalized type of ther therapy or treatments, we're going to have a lot more success with a lot less adverse reactions and better outcomes because of the fact that we're uniquely designing it and tailoring it to the person. We're, we are also seeing a movement among doctors, uh, naturopaths in particular, of, uh, of a more personalized approach to vaccines in general, uh, to look at a, at a child specifically. You know, m most children are the ones that are getting the majority of vaccines. Look at a child, look at their background, look at, uh, look at many factors. Do you think this will be the new wave of the future? Or are we just going to be stuck in the, nope, this is it. This is what we've got to take. Don't ask. Don't ask any questions. Don't ask. Don't tell. Well, I think that it is here. I mean, I, you know, I've always looked at personalized medicine as something we're going to do later, but now we're actually doing it. And uh, the thing is, is that we actually have to get it to the point where it becomes more economically feasible because it because it is more expensive to do because it's focusing, you know, on a case by case basis. Uh, and the technology is so specialized in the manufacturing uh, movement. You have to when you're when you're manufacturing a personalized design, you can't have two people being manufactured at the same time. So you actually have to manufacture in separate suites because it's a personalized design. So I mean, it's a more complicated type of uh, uh, environment that we're talking about. But we are paving the direction for being able to scale it up so that people can choose it as a means, you know, as an option. Uh, you know, and and maybe as a primary option, and then okay. hopefully we can uh, we can get it into the payer system so that we can actually get more people to uh, select the treatment options. You know, so I think that it is here, it is now, but we've got a lot of work to do uh, to be able to fine tune and scale up to meet the demands of the population. It may be expensive, I get that, but what about the yeah. expense that uh, we're causing the general public. I mean, if you're looking at long-term effects yeah. and uh, problems down the road, autoimmune disorders, which have gone through the roof and many other health issues that uh, are if at, at, at least loosely associated with mass, mass vaccinations, that's a big cost as yes. well. 
Right. And, and, and also, even in the environment of, you know, uh, immuno-oncology class drugs that are used for cancer or even some of these other autoimmune drugs that are out there, people don't realize because they don't see the hidden cost or they don't see they don't see what the insurance pays. Like, for instance, the new Optivo Yervoy, which is the combination checkpoint inhibitors that are being used for cancer, that, that can be an upwards of $2 million a year cost to the patient. But the patient doesn't see that. Same thing with this CAR T uh, therapy, uh, CAR T, you know, T cells that are actually at the program T cells, you know, one treatment round of that is like a half a million dollars. And, and the insurances are paying this so the patient doesn't get to see it. Maybe they pay their deductible, but it doesn't mean that it's not costing that amount of money. So like, for instance, the personalized therapies are in the tens of thousands of dollars, not in the hundred, you know, the millions plus of dollars for so many treatments. So, so the thing is, and, and the other thing is, is they're more direct and a lot more specific and these other, and they have less off target type reactions. And these treatments that are out there now, like the checkpoint inhibitors are better than what we've had before, but they still have some undesirable off target uh, type reactions, which you don't want. So all the more reason why personalization is necessary. So it's targeted and specific to the individual, right? I appreciate your time today, Anna. And before before we end our time together, is there anything else that you think the world needs to know as we're in this era of COVID and in a time of maybe looking at forced vaccinations? Yeah, uh, the the forced vaccination scenario is something that really is disturbing and alarming. Uh, there are people that need to be able to have the ability to choose and to say yes or no. For the government to come in and actually create a mandated uh, movement uh, to where you will not be able to travel, you will not be able to enter in a public place or go from point A to point B, and, and, and the fact that your you know, decision-making abilities are taken away from us is against the constitutional right. And, and so... So the thing is, is we have to be able to have the ability to say yes or no. We need to have the ability to, to choose uh, what is right for us and not be penalized. And I think in order for us to be able to, to have that happen, there has to be a greater voice out there of the people to say no. Like you were just saying earlier, a large percentage of the healthcare workers are saying, I'm not taking it. I think a large percentage of the people out there need to be able to voice their uh, decisions and not be penalized for, for voicing their decisions. And, uh, and I think there needs to be some definite safeguards out there that are, po- that are focused on the people, not focused on the organizations for mass uh, vaccination. And uh, that's my opinion. Yeah. Uh, John Cantanzara has been our guest. Uh, Dr. John, any, anything else? Are you working on a new book or anything? Because I, I want to. I'm going to mention a couple of the books that you've re- that you've written, and you're you're really good at it. And I'm hoping that you're you're going <laughs> to put you. out another in the future. Yes, I will. Uh, at some point, I'm thinking about it. Um, I'm trying to figure out at this point what is going to be the best kind of a, a eye-catching title uh, th- that would actually give uh, the general readership something that they can, you know, sink their teeth in, into. Uh, so yes, uh, that's a future plan. 
And good, I'm good. hoping that uh, that can happen here within the next uh, the next five or so years. <laughs> excellent, excellent. Uh, you've yeah. written the book Complete by the Master's Touch that talks uh, about healing, a complete healing, and it is an astounding book. It really, really is. And this is a book that I give to absolutely everybody who says, yeah, I or someone they know has been diagnosed with cancer. Cancer, an integrative approach. And it is yeah. an amazing book to read. It's easy to sit down and go through very easy to understand. It doesn't read like a textbook. That's why I say you're really good at writing. You need to you need to get on this. Yeah. Let me let me just be your Thank, your cheerleader you, here. But uh, <laughs> I will you, have links to those books everywhere you're listening to this program. And I would really, especially if you know someone that's dealing with cancer, this giving it to them as a gift. It's astounding. It really answers a lot of questions. It gives a lot of insight into uh, many things that that they may or may not know about blending alternative and conventional treatments it's it's a it's a great book and a really good read and a really good man and a good friend it's so good to connect with you again dr john nice connecting with you michelle thank you for having me on and uh, i sure appreciate uh, spending the time with you this is health watch wednesday i want to share with you something that's changed my life. It's a product. And I used to take it when they paid me to talk about it on uh, the radio station. And when I left my job, I stopped taking the product, right? And everything went south. It's Calitrin. It is a collagen supplement and the best out there. A lot of people take it for weight loss. I mean, people are losing anywhere from 10 to a couple hundred pounds. That's great. But for me, what it did is it helped me sleep. It helped me focus. My hair, skin, and nails were looking spectacular. It is amazing for those who may have arthritis, achy joints, that kind of thing. But man, it really is a fountain of youth in a bottle, and I could feel its effects when I stopped taking it. So I contacted them and said, hey, do you want to be an affiliate? You know, you don't, you don't have to sponsor my show. Just give me an opportunity to get the product at a special deal and to share that with my listeners, and that's what we're doing. So go to MyMichelleLive.com, click on the link, and learn more about Calitrin, my favorite product. Well, tragedy, it can bring out the best in us. Really, it can. Or it can bring out the worst. What is the corona environment? really bringing out and how can we find a better story what we call the god story in los angeles care rationing is actually on the table it is literally being considered a document that was obtained by the times of los angeles outlined how to allocate resources in a crisis situation and it was circulated among doctors and the four hospitals in Los Angeles County. So in this game of lifeboat, what people get in and what people get tossed, we're going to get the thoughts on this with a little view from Jerusalem. And now a view from Jerusalem with Rabbi Adlerstein. Rabbi Yitzhak Adlerstein, he is the Director of Interfaith Affairs at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, a frequent flyer here on this program, and an absolute delight. Rabbi, good to connect with you. It's great to be back, uh, Michelle, and wishing all of our listeners a healthy, happy, productive, and spiritually uplifting 2021. 
Well, let's hope so. Going back to to this idea of rationing, uh, here we had the holidays. We have New Year's, you celebrated Hanukkah, we celebrated Christmas. Can you imagine with me that there wasn't quite enough food at your holiday table and you decide that perhaps you'll have to toss out a son or a daughter or Lord forbid, a grandkid. I, I mean, I, I can't even imagine that. It's much the same when patients exceed their staff's ability to care for them. What do you do? How do you choose? And in an emergency, how do you navigate, Rabbi? The existence of, of triage and of ordering priorities about who gets what and how you allocate resources is nothing is nothing terribly new. We're used to that in wartime conditions, uh, and and some people mm-hmm. would argue that that's what humanity does in uh, not so fairly or uh, equitably allocating resources, including food and water, to people all over all over the the globe. What we should do about that is another issue and something we should explore at a different time. My concern here is not the need for rationing, but how certain places and certain countries and certain locales got to a position where they would have to do that altogether. Because clearly, if there uh, would have been, with hindsight, as you say, if there would have been better ways of enforcing guidelines, if there would have been more public support for them, we would not have gotten to the, uh, to the point. Um, I'm not going to tell you Israel did a terrific job. Uh, in the first wave, they actually did a terrific job. And then people got a little lazy, and various subgroups, including young people, unfortunately, and some particular uh, subgroups in the population, said, well, you know, we, they, we must have herd immunity, our little group, or... This is getting too restrictive of our, our lifestyle and rather play Russian roulette. Both of those groups did not look at the impact that their actions would have on the rest of the population. Governments didn't allocate things properly. And that's, that's where there's really room to talk. Uh, in, in the United States, fully one quarter of those people who died of the 300,000 were people in nursing homes, uh, and their deaths were brought about by four governors who instructed hospitals to take COVID patients and return them to the nursing homes that they came from, which then allowed the disease to spread like wildfire. These governors, starting with Andrew Cuomo, have blood on their hands. And that's something we should all be looking at, how we, how we got to that. How is it that certain European countries had to make these decisions almost to, the be- almost to the beginning? Other countries, including, to its credit, the United States and, and Israel, said, despite the fact that some people are saying, let the old die, they've had their chance already, and let's just treat the young and we won't get to the point that we have a shortage of ventilators back in the old days when they thought ventilators was the way to uh, to treat people. Most in the United States did not go that route. 
and people said we're not we're not willing to sacrifice a whole cadre of the population because they've had their chance. And I, I suspect this is coming up on your agenda, Michelle. The people using the uh, coronavirus crisis to roll out the quality of life. Let us decide who is worthwhile living, whose life is worthwhile saving and preserving, and who's not. You've probably seen the, the item about Oregon, where recently a 64-year-old quadriplegic who had lived as a quadriplegic for many years essentially was DNR'd by a physician who said, well, you know, this guy doesn't really have quality of life. He wasn't consulted. He wasn't even ill. But they said, this person does not really deserve to live. Where have we heard that before, Michelle? Where have we heard people say, well, we're going to be merciful, and we're going to allow people to exit stage left graciously, and we'll even push them to do it, and this is all good for them and good for everyone else. It frees up hospital beds. It, it, it allows the government to save money on the care of the terminally ill. Where have we heard arguments about the quality of life rather than what you and I believe in, which is the sanctity of life? When you believe in the sanctity of life, quality of life is not so much of an issue. Well, of course, we're seeing that debate played out in many countries around the world and even in some states here in the United States where we're deciding, well, euthanasia laws, it's mercy killing, it's its actual kindness. And if we really care for people, if we really have a, a value for life, we will have mercy we we have mercy on our animals if a horse breaks its leg we'll we'll put it out of its misery why would we not do the same for humans and that's that's part of the argument right and I, and i hope we all have the moxie to understand well the difference is that we're not two-legged horses <laughs> those of us who believe in a god who created us and created horses for that matter but did argue and instruct us that there's a specialness to human life, that humans who are created in the image of God puts the value of their life, yes, on a higher plane than animals. We're not just co-equal citizens of the same environmental neighborhood who have to learn to coexist with each other. There is something special to human life. And as soon as, we, as soon as we overlook that, as soon as we turn our backs to, to that tradition, then you allow things like, let's remember, it was Nazi Germany that yes. started even before the Holocaust by terminating the lives of a physically handicapped, of mentally handicapped. Those laws, the euthanasia laws in Germany, was, to my knowledge, the first attempt of a whole society to uh, weed out the ones we're not so comfortable with. And here Certainly. in the United States, I would never compare him, but Peter Singer, a, a philosopher at Princeton, has argued that we should, we have 
we have to allocate resources. We don't have enough to go around, which is not really true. But assuming that it would be, he says we should study newborn children for 72 hours and decide whether their their lives are really of the quality that they should be preserved. Because there is really very little difference between a child who's newly born and one that is still in the ninth month of gestation and still enwrapped in his mother's uterus. They both represent potential lives, so there should be no problem of terminating. And that's not murder. A newborn chimpanzee is far better preserved, far more mature than a newborn infant. If we permit abortion, if we permit contraception, we should have no problem terminating a new life of, of a baby. What's missing here, Michelle, is the divine guidance that a God does set rules and guidelines. They are slightly different between Jews and Christians, but they certainly both recognize that once a child comes into this world and is independent of his mother's womb, that that child is human, as fully human as anyone else, and that God forbid to take the life. I would also say that religious views run throughout all of the gamut of religions, uh, Buddhism, Christianity, Roman Catholicism, Hindus, Islam, Judaism, Sikhism. Uh, They have a, a commonality in that they have a value for human life, that life is indeed sacred and it is precious. When you mentioned Nazi Germany, some of the people that that came under scrutiny were the very ones that maybe in our society, we would say biblically, those who were uh, 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 gay, lesbian, of alternative lifestyles, well, they were the very ones who were also being looked at and, along with those who were handicapped and, and those who were had mental disorders, the undesirables. But there is something very interesting in a society that does have a tradition of valuing God the very people that you might find undesirable, you still defend the sanctity of life. There is something very precious there. So I'm going to, for a change, give you kind of a a secular take on that. Um, One of the European countries that recently adopted a euthanasia law was Spain. Yes. The bill which was passed was introduced by the left-wing parties and resisted by... The right-wing parties. Now, this is not a question of anything that uh, Joe Biden proposes is going to be resisted by Trump supporters. This is classic European politics, left versus right. I'm not here to bash the left. I have leftist tendencies myself. But there is a difference in general between left and right. Um, Anthropologist Richard Richard Schweder Uh, interviewed 600 subjects in communities in India and the United States about moral beliefs. He did a lot of investigation of this. His student, Jonathan Haidt, continued his work with thousands of people. Essentially, they came up with two different worldviews, nothing to do with religion, 
per se, between left and right. And they came to the conclusion that in many societies, at least in societies that had stability, there were three kinds of moral values that existed. And we're going to call them, uh, I'm going to uh, uh, adapt the uh, terminology of a good friend of mine, Moshe Capel, who recently wrote a beautiful book about this. We're going to call these moral values fairness, loyalty, and restraint. Hmm. Fairness, you want to see justice. You want to see people getting what they should be getting. You want to, you want to see the gaps between the haves and the have-nots filled up. Loyalty to your own group, to tradition, to the past, uh, uh, a sense of not th- discarding the past and looking at its, its values as a guide to the future. And finally, restraint that these societies that are more stable or the more traditional societies value certain kinds of restraints, including in activities that occur in the privacy of one's home. But they, they all put on a pedestal these three values, while progressive societies tend to look only at the first, at fairness and and take a dimmer view and sometimes discard them altogether, but certainly put them way in the backseat, the values of loyalty and restraint. So what that tells us, Michelle, is that purely from a secular standpoint, for societies to cohere, for citizens to trust one another, for people to be able to continue their value system into the next generation, you need more than the search for Bernie Sanders uh, and uh, and Alexandria. Uh, oh, AOC uh, Cortez, yes. Uh, uh, yeah, AOC uh, Ortez, uh, yeah. Uh, for for those values to uh, to uh, not take over and 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 tend to extremes, you need the idea of loyalty to tradition and to. And to your your uh, your home group, your nation, your community, and finally restraint. Now those things all mark the societies you're talking about. All of these different religions. Forget about the spiritual values. Not that for a nanosecond I would forget them. But purely for the sake of argument, what you've pointed to, Michelle, is that these societies all have this idea of loyalty and restraint. Besides the pursuit of fairness and have a chance of surviving while fairness societies tend to become quickly unfair because they double down on certain Mm. uh, applications of it and neglect the others when they're not fair to other people. And I, I think you and I would say that those societies that manage to preserve fairness, loyalty, and restraint by coupling it to the revealed word of God are way ahead of the pack. Well said. I think in many of our societies where we're and areas where we see these breakdowns, one, we're surrendering our intellect to our emotion. But what I hear you saying is something that I see quite often in many circles of be it COVID, be it dealing with the homeless, whatever it may be, we 
enact kindness to the point of cruelty. In other words, we are so kind and we want to do such kind things that it in essence turns into cruelty. We see it on the streets played out in my hometown in Seattle where homelessness is rampant. The streets are rife with feces and people doing open drugs deals in the streets. But we don't want to stop people because it's their right and we want to show kindness to them we want to let them live wherever they want to and these people are living in absolute misery and yet you mentioned Como earlier uh, Cuomo uh, has now put addicts at the top of the list of those getting the vaccine. So grandma, who uh, may be at high risk, will have to wait unless she's got a heroin addiction. So we have this kind of strange imbalance when we become imbalanced ourselves, Rabbi. So how do we find, in as we look into a new year, a brand new year, 2020 behind us, thank you, Lord, how do we find that balance in our own lives so that we can affect change in the world around us? Well, I, I, I think um, this conversation is, is all headed in the same direction as we usually do, that the, 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 the way of God, atzas Hashem hisakum, the, the Bible says, the counsel of God, that is what is going to last. I think the... The best way for us as individuals, not talking about societies right now, but as individuals, is to redouble our efforts to be in touch with God and to do that not just by listening to the inner voice, which often gets a little bit distorted by our own needs, our own subjectivity, but to, but to join together with like-minded people who are searching for the Word of God and to be open to it, to study, to study Scripture, to ask the important questions, but ask them, ask religious leaders to, to, to be more forceful in articulating them to the rest of, to the rest of society. But first and foremost, we, we have to recognize the, the value of human life, of what it means to be created in the image of God and what a responsibility that creates, a, that puts upon us to share that worldview with others around us. I think that's well put. Uh, I think maybe, it, not just in uh, sharing that worldview, but living that worldview, much of what you've talked about, the the standards that we need to have a thriving society, the restraint that we certainly don't see on social media or in our interactions. In fact, I would argue that there are things that are said to quote friends on social media that you would never say if you were face to face with someone. So we're lacking that in our own behaviors, in our own uh, so easily offended world and in our own way of maybe having our own personal lifeboat where someone else just doesn't have the kind of life that we value. And so we're ready to throw them off. I think that we're, when we step up our game and live out our convictions as well as share them uh, verbally, I think that's maybe step one in our own world. What say you? I, I say that I think you've nailed it. One of the most important uh, works in the, the last 400 years uh, 
of, of Jewish life is uh, a book by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato in the 18th century. Um, it's uh, called in Hebrew, Mesilas Yesharim, The Path of the Just. It's a classic and has been studied in non-Jewish circles as well. But the the opening line really is the most important. It's a, a, a conceit of such beautiful elegance and simplicity. You almost kick yourself when you hear it and say, why didn't I think of that first? He argues that every moment of life is an opportunity. There's nothing random. God put us here in this big stage and, and, and we're sort of like writing the lines of the play, but, but, the whole stage is there to see where we're going to get to in the end. And he says the first principle, the most important thing you can do for yourself is to clarify yourself. What am I doing here? What is my obligation? And for religious people, you can quickly come to the conclusion that I'm here to do what God asks me to do because he said it and because it's in my benefit. He doesn't get anything out of this. And at that point, when you really clarify that to yourself, everything you do, every single move that you make can be put, can be set up against this standard. Is this getting me closer to where God wants me to be for eternity or drive me further away? Because you never stay still. The next thing I do, the next five lines that I text, on, social, on mm. social media, and that I wouldn't have the courage to do in person. Why is that not a religious choice? This will either get me closer wow. to God or further away. And you employ something like that, it's extremely, extremely powerful, and it, it helps quite a lot. The other thing I would say is if you live in New York State and you're faced with the, uh, the Cuomo uh, edicts, what you should do is get yourself addicted to Michelle Mendoza, <laughs> uh, and then you'll qualify as an addict, and you'll get the vaccine as well. <laughs> and everyone's happy. This this is where we can get to the to the real God stories, and that's what we're really searching for. Everything that you just laid out. Rabbi, including listening to this, is, is part of finding that inner peace. That's what we're really looking for. We all are, speaking of being addicts, we're all looking to anesthetize the, the pain that living in this broken world causes. But there is really only one cure, and that is that reunification with the God who created us to be in relationship with him. When we fall out of that relationship, when we when we cease to walk that walk and climb that climb to get closer, that's where we are so dissatisfied and we see things fall apart. But as we walk a little farther towards that goal, it does bring such joy. And in that joy, man, is that something we need as we look at a whole new year of uncertainty, getting out of 2020? Don't we need a little bit of that joy? And I've sure experienced it with you today. I always do. I'm, I'm always left in our conversations a better person than I was before we started. I appreciate that of you so very much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. More Health Watch at MyMichelleLive.com.